Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. I'm Daryl McMullen, and this is a show dedicated to understanding the human condition, the impact it has on us, how we respond to it, how we can exceed the expectations and limitations of this world, in essence, how we can level up and live lives that serve a higher purpose. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Um, It is Wednesday this week. Unfortunately, I was not able to get the episode out on Monday like normal. Um, I will spend a little bit of time explaining that and a few other things in the minute of transparency this morning. But this week, we have a great show. Um, Unfortunately, we are having to turn the corner away from God and God's game plan and God's tool or weapon in the controversy rounding that corner and we need to start talking about Satan and Satan's game plan and some of the things that he uses against us in the controversy. But it's a it's an important piece of controversy theory and so we'll get into that uh, today. However, let's start with the minute of transparency. So a couple weeks ago, um, you know, things were just getting pretty bad in the world. Right, we had the controversy going on, um, or not controversy, but uh, you know the the issues going on in the country uh, because of George Floyd, and you know people standing up for not only him but Black Lives Matter, and just opening that wound again. And um, you know a lot of people got out and and started protesting, which was great. Um, it's it's wonderful. Again, anytime we can bring that into the forefront, any kind of um, racism or prejudice or th- things like that, if we can bring it out into the open and and call it out for what it is and then work toward solving the problem, it's an amazing thing. But obviously that came along with rioting and things like that that had nothing to do with the protests. Um, you know, opportunists who, who saw the ability for... Um, you know, things to be stolen and, and, you know, just basic anarchy and chaos to ensue at the same time. So that was going on. In the midst of that, obviously, we had the coronavirus still. And even though things were slowly opening back up, um, you know, it's just a different world. And so all of that was going on. And so my wife said, you know, we have got to do something. We can't just sit here every day, day in and day out, working in the morning, watching TV at night, and just getting more and more um, beat down by the, the things that are going on in the world. And so, bless her heart, she decided, you know, we need to go somewhere. We need to do something. And so she contacted some of her friends who live uh, back in the Midwest, and she said, hey, you know, are you guys willing to to leave and, and go meet somewhere and hang out for a week. And so all three of them kind of had the same mindset and they were like, yeah, we, we just have to get out of here. So we all met down in Florida and, um, yeah, just spent the week hanging out, uh, getting to know each other again, catching up on life and, and really just getting away from all of the chaos and stress that, that is going on in the world right now. 
And it was, I mean, it was a little touch and go, you know, with travel. Travel is still going on. People are allowed to travel. Um, they, they try to social distance on the planes. You have to wear masks, all of those things. Um, and, and even in Florida, you know, there are social distancing um, things put into place with restaurants. And, um, you know, the beach itself was, was very uh, scattered in terms of having people on it. So, you know, we, we basically spent the week social distancing from other people, um, but got to hang out together uh, at the pool and at the beach and just kind of get away from it all. So that was wonderful. Um, and then in the midst of the week, um, we were also working on a, uh, a deal where we, we have three cars and our third car is, is literally 20 years old and it's about to bite the dust. And so we knew that we needed to find a way to get another car and to replace that third car. And, and my wife was, was like, you know what, I've always wanted a convertible and I think a Jeep would pass as a convertible. So, so she really started looking around for Jeeps and eventually found one uh, in Michigan uh, where my parents live. And so my parents were able to go check it out and kind of look it over and decide that it was worth what it was uh, costing. And so we, we went ahead and did it in the middle of the week. We, you know, did all of our paperwork online or, or through FedEx next day air, um, and, and got the paperwork all signed. And so at the end of our, uh, little miniature getaway, um, I, I flew back to Michigan with my son and we picked up the Jeep and we drove it back to California. Nice 30 hour drive. But it was fun. And and this is really why I want to bring this up is there's this thing I call a moment in time. And a moment in time is is where you're going about your day, you're going about your busy life, and, and all of a sudden you just stop. And it's like the whole universe has just stopped. And you're in the moment, you're feeling everything that there is to feel, you're seeing everything that there is to see, you're hearing everything that there is to hear. Um... And you're just in the moment. And I get those every now and then, and I'm sure you do too. Uh, but I had a number of those uh, driving back from Michigan. And so I just wanted to talk about one of them. So we're driving on, on I-80 in, in Nebraska, and we get to the, the junction where 76 drops down and, and goes toward Denver, Colorado. And it was just one of those moments, right? I'm driving the top of the Jeep is off, the, the sky is beautiful blue, um, the, everything would just slow down. And I looked over and my son is sitting there in, in the passenger seat and he's got a smile on his face. And it was just one of those moments in time where you're like, life doesn't get much better than this. And I had a few more of those, you know, throughout the day, throughout the, the next day. Uh, you know, driving through Colorado, driving through the mountains, uh, then driving into Utah and, and through the, the beautiful countryside there. Um, but it's just one of those things where you're, you're totally in the moment and you stop and you're able to just be thankful that you're alive, be thankful that there's a God in heaven who is in control and the world just makes sense for that moment. And that's my encouragement for you is to, to look for those moments in your day, in your week, 
Um, I know it's been super difficult lately just because of the way things are, are happening and happening so quickly in the world today. Um, but look for those moments in time because they're super important. They're the things that you'll remember, you know, 10 years from now, I'll look back on that trip and I'll remember that, that one moment in time on I-80 and I-76 right there in Nebraska. Okay. So let's get back into today's content. Uh, like I said, we're moving into the the dark side of the controversy, if you will. Um, today's basic assumption is Satan's game plan, revenge. And we're going to talk about a, a loss we can't understand, the fact that his time is short, uh, revenge being the best medicine, and spiritual warfare. Number one, a loss we can't understand. So back at the beginning of uh, this Controversy Theory series, we talked a lot about how things began, right? And the, the Lucifer story, or the Satan story, um, was, was that Lucifer was a created being in heaven. Uh, there was a seed of sin that was planted in his heart somehow, um, and he became patient zero for the sin virus. Uh, when, when this happened, he convinced a third of the angels to follow him. There was war in heaven. God was victorious, and Lucifer and his angels were removed from heaven and banished to earth. Now, before we get to the punchline, uh, you know, about revenge and about, you know, what Satan really wants out of his time here on earth, uh, the whole conversation uh, needs to stop for a minute, and we really need to think about the loss that, that Lucifer went through, or what it must have felt like or been like for him. So we're going to look at uh, three different areas. So first going uh, from Lucifer to Satan. So in heaven, you know, Lucifer had a highly respected position. He was in a position of authority. Uh, there's a chance that he was a leader that a, a lot, if not all of the other angels look, looked up to. So the fall from this position of leadership in heaven to being banished on earth um, is a pretty devastating fall. Uh, what, what helps me understand this a little bit is to kind of look at it the opposite way. So imagine what it would be like for us to go from living in this world of sin, pain, and suffering to living in heaven where everything is perfect and where there's no sin, no pain, no suffering. It's such a drastic uh, difference that we can't even really comprehend it. And that's, that's kind of how I feel like Satan may have felt, right? So earth, earth was perfect in the beginning, but my guess is that it had nothing to, like heaven had. Uh, you know, it probably took Satan a while to realize just how big of a mistake that he had made. Next, uh, losing the war in heaven. So in my mind, this had to be a defining moment in Lucifer's existence, right? Like he's in a perfect environment. Uh, there would have been no war, no anger, no battles, no fighting, no violence. Uh, my assumption is that this was all new to him. All of the symptoms of the sin virus, you know, which started in his heart, it was all new, new feelings, new emotions. Um, and so somehow, you know, Lucifer thought that because he wanted to be God, that all he had to do was make it happen. So he kicked off the revolution. Um, and at the end of the day, he really should have known that he couldn't win. But maybe it's because it was so new that, that he just didn't even understand. Um, you know, we we look at the whole situation and we're like, man, he should have understood the great disparity, right, that existed between himself, a created being, and the God of the universe, 
who had done the creating. But, you know, maybe he just chose to be optimistic. He chose to, to test the obvious. But regardless uh, what was going through his head, he moved forward, and it must have been especially hard to lose the war and be punished, you know, something that no created being had ever gone through or experienced before. Think about it this way. Think about a tennis player who makes it all the way through all the rounds at Wimbledon and, and makes it to the finals. In the finals, maybe they win the first few sets, right? So things are going really well. They're almost there, only to lose the match in the end. All that work, being so close to your goal, but then having to see somebody else experience the glory and and you failing to, to reach your goal. And I'm sure that that pales, obviously, in comparison to the loss that Satan felt um, after the war in heaven. Finally, uh, losing the perfection of heaven. So this is another thing that we don't fully understand, right? What, what it was like in heaven, what it was like to live in a perfect place where there was no sin, no pain, no suffering. Everything was positive and wonderful all the time. Obviously, it was something that Satan took for granted. But then again, did he really even understand the alternative? In a perfect world with no pain and suffering, would you even know what pain and suffering look like uh, in, in order to like, you know, stay away from it. So imagine the situation he found himself in when he was banished to earth. Imagine as his mind was opened up to the understanding of what it truly meant to live outside of heaven. Imagine what it must have felt like to experience those first few days without the presence of God. I don't know if it was dark or if it just felt different to him. I mean, earth was still perfect at the time. So how bad could it be, right? I don't know, but there is a chance that even though Adam and Eve were still living in paradise, Satan's world was closing in on him. He was experiencing what it felt like to be separated from the God of the universe, the one who created him. And that understanding, I think, began to drive him over the edge. Number two, his time is short. So as this new reality started to sink in, uh, Satan was also faced with another issue the issue of time. Time is a concept that Lucifer never had to think about in heaven. You realize time is a concept that only really matters here on earth. Why? Well, the simple explanation is this. Time is a concept that only has significance when things have endpoints. So let me explain that. God is a being that has and always will exist. Because of this, time means very little to him. The angels were created, so they have a starting point, but they live forever, so time really means nothing to them. And the same was meant to be true for Adam and Eve. But the sin, sin virus brought in this concept of endings, the end of things, by introducing death into the universe. And death is nothing more than the end of something that had a beginning. So flowers are planted, they grow, and then they die. Birds are born, they live, and then they die. And every human being is born, lives for a short time, and then dies. This is the cycle of life, but only because of the sin virus. It's not how it was supposed to be. So imagine, for a minute, <laughs> Satan and his angels in those first few weeks banished to earth, coming to grips with the fact that they lost the war in heaven, and starting to see just how big that loss really was starting to see that they could no longer get to have the things that they had in heaven, and starting to understand the concept of time. Uh, 
I believe that Satan and his angels knew their lives would end long before sin ever came to the earth. Once Satan convinced Adam and Eve to sin against God, it became super obvious what sin could do. But I think Satan knew the minute he was removed from heaven that his life was done. I think there was a sudden realization that the separation from God meant you didn't get to live forever anymore. Then, when God started interacting with the humans, he left no doubt in Satan's mind. So God has laid it all out for human beings, right? He explained it to his people. He explained how Satan had failed to overthrow God in heaven. He explained how Satan will work here on earth and that someday he will try to rule the entire universe. Um, But he made it clear, Satan will lose again. He explained his game plan, his rescue mission, how Jesus would come and create the antidote to the sin virus. Then later in history, and to make it perfectly clear, he inspired humans to write everything down. These writings eventually became the Bible, which makes it perfectly clear that Satan will not live forever. He will have a short run as ruler on earth, and then he too will pass away. So Satan is very aware of the fact that his storyline has already been written, right? There's very little wiggle room for Satan, and like a caged wild animal, he is screaming mad. But time can do that to a person, right? When you have unlimited time, you don't really need to think about things, right? You aren't in a hurry to plan your life. You don't really need to set goals or create action items or check things off a list. These are all things we understand and engage in because of time. We know we have a beginning and an end, and when things, uh, well, we have things that we need to get accomplished in a very short window of time. So time impacts everything we do. Think about it. We have to uh, begin eating solid foods by four months. We have to learn to walk around nine months. We have to get through school, graduate, get married, have a career, travel, all the things, right? All the things. Because we know that we have a short period of time in which to get everything done. And Satan is now feeling the same thing, right? He had an eternity in heaven, but now on earth he has a limited time. I mean, it's still longer than we have, right? The typical 75-year lifespan. Uh, I mean, he's been here since earth began, and he will remain until the world ends. But still, in the grand scheme of things, it's a very short time when you used to have eternity to look forward to. And so what does this cause? Well, the Bible explains in Revelation 12.12, it says, Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth and sea, because the devil has gone down to you, and he is filled with fury, because he knows his time is short. So like us, Satan had to sit down and create a plan. How much could he get accomplished in that short window of time? Uh, I look at it as as a person receiving a cancer diagnosis from a physician. You understand how that works, right? One minute you're 35, you're loving life, you're, you're doing all of the things. The next minute it's a cancer diagnosis and you're given six to 12 months to live. Your entire world changes, right? Your perspective is immediately adjusted. When time is taken away from you, everything comes into focus. All of those things that you are doing get run through the filter of importance. And if they're not important, you stop doing them and you just get to the important things. And this is what happened to Satan. So faced with a death sentence, his whole game plan changed. He became laser focused on what he wanted to accomplish and how he wanted to do it. And unfortunately, 
we as humans are right in the middle of his crosshairs. Number three, revenge is the best medicine. I say this not because it's true, but because it's what we think is true, right? It's the lie that we all fall for. Every time we're hurt or wronged in some way, we go through the initial pain and sadness, then the anger sets in, and revenge becomes the goal. If only I could get back at them in some way. If only bad things would happen to them. If only justice could be served somehow. I mean, these are the thoughts that kind of go through our mind. And this is exactly where the mind of Satan went. So sitting on earth with no way to return to heaven and coming to the grips with coming to grips with the fact that his behavior had led to all of this, the anger started to grow. But instead of just being angry with himself, he redirected it toward God for holding him accountable. Knowing now that he wasn't strong enough to beat God and knowing that in the end, God would eventually win once and for all. It was just too much to bear. And so the next logical step is to get some good old-fashioned revenge. Satan knew that there was no beating God, right? So he had to find a way to hurt him. And that's where humankind enters the picture. If you can't hurt a person, then the best way to get back at them is to hurt someone they or something that they love. Let me say that one more time. If you can't hurt a person the best way to get back at them is to hurt someone or something they love. We all know how this works, right? In fact, it's so easy, even kids can do it. Uh, A child is mad at a sibling, so they take one of their toys and they break it. Or a teenager is is mad at an ex, so they interfere in that person's new relationship, which uh, leads to it ending. Or uh, a business executive, for example, is mad at someone or mad at being let go, so they they find a way to hurt the business financially somehow, thereby exacting some level of justice on the business owner. We came by it honestly, and oh, how we've adopted it into our set of tools. But back to Satan. So knowing that he would never beat God, he decided to get back at him by hurting the thing that God loved the most, his perfect creation, the beings that he had created in his own image. Number four, spiritual warfare. Now, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode when it comes to the conscience and the fact that there's spiritual warfare that goes on um, between God and Satan right inside of your mind. However, spiritual warfare is a much bigger concept. Um, You know, it has to do with all of the different ways that God and Satan are fighting um, over us in the the controversy. And so we're going to talk a little bit about it here because it, it is basically what Satan initiated with God. So when Satan jumped into the revenge game, he jumped in with all he had, right? There was no testing the waters. He dove right into the deep end and learned how to swim on the fly. Uh, His anger blinded him so much and he moved so quickly with the precision of a military sniper. Step one, uh, he had to convince the, the first humans to choose him over God. So we have no idea how long this took or how many different approaches he used, but we do know that it eventually happened, right? So his only portal into our world at the time was the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the Garden of Eden. And the Bible explains that he used this this tree and he used his intellect in order to convince the human beings that God didn't have their best interest at heart. 
you know, he, he told Eve that he was trying, that God was just trying to keep them down as slaves almost, right? Keeping them from having all of the knowledge and the ability to become gods themselves. Sound familiar? The one thing that Satan wanted most to be a god, uh, he used that desire to seduce the humans. And that was that. You know, when we gave in, the sin virus entered the earth and phase one was complete for Satan. With this in place, he could then move to phase two, uh, which pushed the envelope and kind of built off of this foundation. Now that the sin virus was in play, uh, he would continue to take out his anger on the human beings that God created. He would take as many out as possible. Um, He would keep them confused and focused on the things of this world. He would lie to them at every possible point. He would shame them when they failed. And eventually he would enlist them in his army, if they were willing, to fight against God in a final massive battle. So before we finish up, it must be said that this is not something to be taken lightly, right? Satan isn't some door-to-door salesperson just selling vacuums. Um, And he isn't a novice at manipulation and coercion. In fact, he's a master at every technique necessary to bring you down and to keep you from seeing your true worth. Think of the intellect that an angel must have. Then think about that angel focusing all of that intellect and all of that power on you to destroy your life. When you look at it this way, you can't help but be thankful that God is still in control of the universe and that he's put boundaries in place to keep Satan from having his way with us on on every level. So like I said, in the last episode, we introduced the, the concept of spiritual warfare But obviously the warfare is between God and Satan, and it it includes many different facets. And we we also discuss the fact that there are guardian angels and damaging demons involved in the battle. And there's a chance that we even play a role ourselves in the battle, either for good or evil. So we're either completely sold out for God and pulling in his direction and having a huge impact on others who haven't voted in the eternal election, Or we're a person who sells out for Satan, whether it's on purpose or just subconsciously. And when you're not working for God in the controversy, you're working against him. So on some level, you are an agent for evil in the world. And, you know, it can be simple things all the way up to unthinkable things. So when you think of something small, you know, maybe it's just... uh, you're, you're a chaotic agent in your family. You're doing things that lead to your family falling apart. All the way up to something as, as insane as Hitler and what he did in the world. But to finish things off, let's get a 30,000-foot uh, view of the three levels of spiritual warfare, starting with macro warfare. So in macro warfare, the whole plan of Satan is to do the greatest harm to the greatest number of people. So think big picture, think world wars, genocide, environmental issues, natural disasters, pandemics, um, anything he can do to wipe life off of this planet and create fear, panic, and sadness. Next, we have meso-warfare. So this is right in the middle. And for those of you who have uh, studied systems theory, uh, it's, it's all about working against the systems that are in place in this world. So life is, according to systems theory, life is made up of numerous systems which are all interconnected. Breaking one system can and will have a ripple effect on other systems. 
This has been illustrated amazingly well uh, by the whole COVID-19 pandemic. When you think about it, all of this, when you think about all the systems that are impacted by COVID-19, um, the minute shelter-in-place orders were implemented, so things like schools, workplaces, restaurants, the DMV, movie theaters, concerts, professional sports, all of those different systems have been assaulted by one powerful system called the CDC. When, when they put those orders in place and the government and local and state government started putting those orders into place, all of those other systems felt the ripple effect. And obviously, you know, we are now in that fallout because of it. Obviously, businesses closed, unemployment soared, you know, life as we know it has all but shut down. And even though we're starting to slowly open back up, there's still this fear because numbers are spiking in different states and we're just wondering when it's going to end. So Satan understands this and he knows that if he can just wreak havoc in, a multi, in, in multiple areas or even just one area, that it'll still have a ripple effect and, and have a de- devastating impact to people across the entire world. So just one more example. If, if Satan can cause problems in politics, for example, or in the educational system, then he can impact the society now, but also in the future. Think about if, if Satan put a bunch of time and energy into the educational system and what our kids were learning, how that could impact you know a, a generation from now, two generations from now. Our entire society could be different because of what was taught to all of those children back in, in elementary school. And then there's many other systems, you know, media, uh, workplace, government, Uh, technology sector, and the list just goes on and on and on. And finally, we have micro-warfare. So we had macro, meso, and now micro. So micro-warfare is is smaller than systems, right? It's more down to the family unit or small groups of people, affinity groups, small organizations that, um, you know, that, that do specific things together. And then all the way down to each of us as individuals. At the, at the beginning, this is how it all started, right? Satan knew that micro-warfare was the only way that he was going to inject the sin virus into our world. And so Adam and Eve got the brunt of micro-warfare. Um, and each and, each and every one of us experiences micro-warfare um, you know, as we battle in our minds to do the right thing. And that's kind of what we talked about last time, right? How how spiritual warfare is is waged inside of our conscience and how we have to make little decisions every single day um, for God or against him. And like I said, we'll spend a lot more time talking about this in the next few episodes. Um, We're going to move into Satan's weapon, which is temptation. And so we're going to talk a lot about temptation and how it impacts us as individuals, as well as some other ways that, that Satan attempts to impact the world. So let's land the plane. This week, ask yourself the following questions. Uh, Have you ever thought about Satan in this way? Have you really stopped to think about the power that he must have and the limitless energy being harnessed to bring destruction upon our world? And have you thought about how loving God must be in order to balance out these two elements? First, allowing things to play out in order to ensure our freedom of choice remains intact. But second, 
also enforcing boundaries to keep Satan from doing what he desires, to kill us all and destroy the, the world that God created. And finally, uh, when you understand the battle that's going on behind the scenes for your life, does it change you? Does it help you understand how important each and every decision is that you make? And for you parents out there, does it make you want to protect your children even more? Does it make you want to tell them this information and impress on them the prevalence of spiritual warfare and the importance of their vote in the eternal election? Next week, uh, we move forward and learn more about Satan's secret weapon um, in the ninth basic assumption, which is every person is tempted. Again, not my favorite topics to be talking about, but definitely a huge part of controversy theory and something we, we really need to understand um, in order to understand where we fit in the controversy between God and Satan. So it is what it is, and we'll continue there next week. Uh, thanks again for joining us today. I hope you're enjoying the content and you're telling others about it. Um, have a great week, and until next time, keep transcending human. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find ways to contact us and how to access social media channels. If you like the show, you can help us by doing the following. First, tell a few friends about the show. Uh, there's nothing better than word-of-mouth marketing. Second, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, this will make it easier to find the show and encourage others to check us out. Uh, thanks again for subscribing, and we'll see you next time.